Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. How's everyone doing today? I'm super excited about our next guest, our guest for today, Zoe Kors. Zoe is a dear friend of mine. She's also a highly sought after thought leader on intimacy and sexuality. That's right. We're talking about sex. But are we though? Zoe is the resident sex and intimacy coach and contributor at Coral, which is a sexual wellness app, which is really cool. I highly recommend it. Um, she's also the se- former senior editor and creative director of LA Yoga Magazine. And she wrote an article, God, when we first met, I think, six ways to have radically intimate sex, which went crazy viral and is currently at over 2 million views and over 250,000 Facebook shares. So she's the shit. In addition to a thriving private practice, Zoe offers her services through Center for Relational Healing, which specializes in the treatment of sex addicts and their partners. So as a team member there, Zoe works with clients to reintroduce healthy sexuality and intimacy after the trauma of betrayal. Uh, She's a certified co-active coach, which is what I am. We went to the same coaching school, which is how we know each other. She is initiated in the Sri Vidya Tantra lineage. I have no idea if I just said that right. (laughs) So her work reflects her extensive study of Tantra, Zen Buddhism, meditation, yoga, breathwork, and other Eastern disciplines, which she integrates with more process-oriented modalities of Western psychotherapy and co-active coaching, which is our jam. So Zoe's writing a book about radical intimacy, and today we're having a conversation all about radical intimacy and what that is. And listen, if you are not partnered right now and you are not having any intimacy in your life, listen to this podcast episode because it's not what you think. So without further ado, I bring you my dear friend, Zoe Kors. Zoe, thank you so much for coming on to talk about radical intimacy. Thank you for having me about doing this for a little while. For probably like almost 10 years, but whatever. <laughs> Not that my podcast has been on for 10 years, but we have known each other at least that long. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So let's just start from the beginning. What is radical intimacy? What does that mean? Radical intimacy is my model of intimacy. So I've been a sex and intimacy coach for 10 years, specializing in sex and intimacy and really owning that space for probably seven years. And owning it, she does. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> Own it, she does. Well, Dominate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a whole other podcast. So the way that I see intimacy is that we tend to think of it as something that requires a lover. And, and there's so much more to intimacy. And what makes a, a relationship with a lover intimate is actually many other areas of intimacy in our lives. So I, over the years, have constructed this framework of living a radically intimate life, which means that we're not just looking for intimacy or focusing or trying to cultivate intimacy with another person, a partner, or even a friend or the things that we think of as intimate, but we're really interacting with ourselves and the world in a way that is distinctly intimate. Letting the letting our experience of life penetrate us, as I like to say. What does that, what does that look like on the ground? Like yeah. boots on the ground, what does that look yeah. like? Cause that, I love the way that sounds, but what does it mean? Yeah, so it means that when here I am sitting on my sofa, propped up by my cushions and all comfy and snuggly in this sort of blustery day, and I'm listening to the wind and I'm enjoying the way the, it, the leaves in the tropical foliage sound, and I take that in and I'm present to that, and I'm holding my tea, and I can really notice the warmth on the palms of my hand. And then when I take a sip of tea, I'm present to the way that it feels. I know that I've woken up this morning and I'm a little bit distracted by thoughts of the chapter of the book that I'm writing, sending it to the editor. And so I've got this sort of buzz in my head because I'm excited for her to read it. And and it's that sort of heightened awareness and presence of, of what's around me and what's inside of me. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's so much more than just be in the now and be present and right. It's because we hear all of this in buzzwords and mindfulness in all of this, yeah. but the idea that it's because that what you describe is so often the thing that we seek in others. I want someone else to make this moment special. I want someone else to be whatever it is, or I want to be experiencing these things with someone. But if we're not actually experiencing them, Yes. In our own lives, how can we ever be expected to experience them either with or through another? Yes, exactly. And it's the it's a rich experience of yourself that enables you to then have a rich experience of someone else and the world, nature. Here's how I coach this. Here's how I yeah. invite people to embrace this kind of radically intimate life. There, I've drawn up a, a grid that looks a little bit like a bingo board, where up the side, we have self at the bottom, other, and then world. And then across the top, I've defined three areas of intimacy, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and what I call energetic intimacy. If you take those intersections you draw out nine areas of opportunity to cultivate intimacy. Just without having a visual here, there's uh, physical intimacy with self, physical intimacy with other, physical intimacy with the world, emotional on those three levels, and energetic on those three levels. And so we take a look, we travel around that grid, and when all those areas are 
cultivated and you've got some practices and some experience of intimacy in those nine areas, you're living a radically intimate life. I love, it's so great. It's, and it, what I love is that intimacy, we always, again, think about it as the other, but here we are, this is just about me. Mm -hmm. You said before we were talking about cultivating that within ourselves before being able, right? Because we, we go come to relationships and we expect and often demand something that we literally don't know how to do. And I think it's like, as we get older, we're like, oh wait, maybe the fact that I haven't actually experienced that with other people is maybe that's, that's on me. Yeah. Look, we're not taught these skills. Who teaches us this stuff? We're actually programmed to believe that passion and sex and love happen spontaneously and effortlessly. We know when it shows up, we know exactly what to do. Yeah. And we don't. We're clueless. So it's not our, I want to say it's not our fault that we are this way. Of course it's not. And it's our job to not perpetuate this. Yes. I was going to say, and especially as women, because we are so conditioned to expect that Prince Charming will show up on his white horse and he will deliver us intimacy. <laughs> he will yeah. sweep us off, you know, our feet yeah. and then we will be intimate. Yeah. And that's just not how intimacy works. That's right. I've had some of the most intimate relationships of my life, by the way, not attached to any physical or sexual. You think about the relationships we have with other women. They're incredibly intimate. They're far more yes. intimate often yeah. than the relationships we have with men. And conversely, I'm going to tell you that I've had some of the most intimate and beautiful sexual encounters with people that I didn't know, that I didn't mm. really, that I didn't have an, an emotional story with. So it can work both ways. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what kind of intimacy you're talking about. And what you want. You have to actually be intentional about what it is that you're that you're requesting or wanting for yourself because we get that shit confused. We have a wonderful, intimate sexual experience with someone and then we assume we're in love with them. Exactly. (laughs) And that's where energetic intimacy comes along and all the attachment myth. Yes. Let's talk about that. Let's go there. This is going to be an unpopular opinion. Yeah. I, um, this is probably going to be the, the topic of my first Ted talk. We'll see. I, we women are and women believe this about themselves women believe and there's all kinds of neuroscience that has come out that that sort of perpetuates this myth that women are by nature they attach to emotionally attached to the people that they have sex with and you can talk about oxytocin and you can talk about all the all of the hormones and the endorphins and all of that and i still don't buy it I still think that it's that it's not something that is inherently true about women. I do think, look, if you were a diabetic and you're going to be eating a meal, you're going to know that you either need to have one bite of a chocolate cake or you can have the whole chocolate cake and then there's going to be ramifications. When we have sex with somebody. I'm not saying that you should have sex with people and not have an emotional attachment, but if it's if that's your goal to have an emotional attachment, then you will decide 
who you're going to have sex with accordingly and when you're going to have sex. But I think that it's perfectly possible. I'm living proof that women can have plenty of sex with people and have a wonderful, nourishing, loving experience of that and not write the story, not get attached to the outcome of what's going to happen next and not project all kinds of emotions there that aren't legitimate. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I think it takes something really like, it, it, like you said, like you have to go into it with an intentionality, right? If you're looking for that, if you're looking for the story, if you're looking for, and you may be using sex as a, as like, even unconsciously as a way to connect, right? Then you're probably going to go down that road. But what you're saying <laughs> is that you're looking, she's looking at me very skeptically right now, ladies. So you're saying that we can actually just have sex with people and not like oxytocin be damned, like bonding hormones be damned. We can have sex yeah. with people and not, not Look, fall in love with them or, or not quote, quote, fall in love with them or want not more. think we are falling in love with them or, or want, yeah, want more, want more than what is being offered. We don't even know sometimes what we want or don't want, like what's on the table if we want this person or not for a longer term. And so here's how it goes. You have a wonderful, amazing experience with someone. They're present, you're there, you're in the moment, you're moved, you're touched, a part of you is touched. That is, that's love, big love, agape love. Like I'm a soul, I'm seeing you as a soul. We're soul to soul here. We're two human beings being vulnerable with each other. Really beautiful, really moving. And then there's the oxytocin kicks in and I am lying with my head on his shoulder and in the afterglow of this sort of wonderful connection. And I say to myself, oh, yeah, this feels really good. In this moment, this feels really good. And I'm intimate, I'm radically intimate, not just with him, but with myself. And I, I think it's important to notice the jumping off point of I am, wow, this feels really good. And I just feel like I was so intimate. I had this moment with this person. Now he owes me a call by noon. After we say goodbye, he better call me. Or I'm like, I'm wounded that he isn't really available for relationship or, and even if he is available for relationship, let's now, because we had this wonderful moment together, let's, let's have a relationship. Even though our political views are different, even though I have no idea what his political views are, or if he wants kids or what, whatever. It's, this is, you know, finding a partner and falling in love. There's a lot more to it than just the feeling of being, being seen in, in the moment and sharing physical intimacy with someone. And I think it's really, I, I think you can trace it way back to the Judeo-Christian brainwash of women. Yeah. Where? Say more about that. Talk about that. No, that's my jam. Let's talk about but it. I think it's not just Judeo-Christian and whatever throughout history. And maybe you speak more to this than I do. There's a, a, a long history of suppressing and controlling women. And I really I hadn't noticed. <laughs> What's that and, I, <laughs> and I really think that this idea that women have to be emotionally 
attached to someone that they have sex with is part of all of that. In in the whole yoga community and in, in India and the, the sort of Hindu tradition and the yogic tradition, there are a bunch of not surprisingly male gurus who who are teaching women that whenever they sleep with a man, they that they hold on to that man's energy for seven years. That that man's energy is in their cells and in their body for seven years. I often wonder about that because we are taking them inside of us. That we are like, and and I think that you, I think it's important to note, right, that you actually very much revere the process of a woman taking a man inside of her. Like, oh, you don't dismiss absolutely. that. As no, I, no, no, I know no. that. Of course, yes. Right. Thank you for pointing that out. I do. I think it's, I am, I don't throw Sanskrit words around very often, but I am, I have a deep tantric practice and I'm trained in tantra and among other things. And I do believe that is these attitudes of mine are born from deep reverence for the act of sex and intimacy. And I truly feel and have experienced that when we have sex, it's the universe making love to itself through us. And there's really, it's a, it can be an unbelievably beautiful experience. And I think that everyone on this planet, every human being would benefit from separating that aspect of sexuality from the white picket fence, Prince Charming, whatever version of that fairy tale. Yeah. And I think it's really important that I also think that, and I I think we are in agreement on this, that women's sexual power is enormous and we give so much of it away. And I think it's interesting. Like this is a conversation I've never, we've never had actually. And I'm, it's like percolating and I'm like, yeah, what the fuck with seven years of energy? Like how fucking dominating and controlling is that? Don't, and it's, and I, I've often said talking about basically the patriarchy is, is built upon the fear of women's power, right? This is why they burned witches at the stake <laughs> and, or women, <laughs> they just burned women at the stake. They burned powerful women at the stake. Let's not, let's like call it what it is. They didn't burn witches. They burned powerful women. And so our power, the, it's such an interesting little fucked up conundrum, right? That. Yeah. Yes. That what I want to hear also, I want to hear you say how we give our power away. What does that yeah. mean? Oh yeah. We, well, we believe things like we believe the constructs that when we have sex with a man, his energy stays with us for seven years. So we, we give ourselves to men. We don't take men. And if we take men, we're a whore, we're, we're a slut, we're whatever. But as, as long as he's doing the choosing and as long as we're in a, a less, a more submissive position, then it's totally okay. But be careful. Don't do it too much because his energy is going to stay in you for seven years. And do you want that? So it's all about, it's all about being chosen, being picked, being subservient, being. Yeah. 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 So I think being afraid and being afraid. There is this look, there are these stories, right? We grow up thinking that how many times have you heard somebody say to your father, as you started to mature that, you, he's going to, oh my God, you're going to have to get a shotgun. Yeah. <clears throat> you have to chase the, them away with a shotgun. And everybody chuckles. What is that saying? 
that men's sexual desire is dangerous. Yes. That women, especially if they're pretty, need to have one man defend defend them against other men. That women are, are helpless and endangered. Yeah, violently. It's, there is no way in this current configuration, in this paradigm, that we as women, and this goes for men too, it's just a a slightly different story, but that we can develop a healthy and organic relationship with our bodies and the pleasure that they can generate and the energy that they can generate. You take, take it all away and imagine that we're all living organically in huts somewhere in a magical field and we're all feeling our bodies mm-hmm. and nobody mm-hmm. cares what anybody looks like. We're not right. looking at, they're not judging. We're not dieting. Yeah. We're not working to fit into some ideal because there is no yeah. ideal. And there's no, there are no messages. There are no sports illustrated swimsuit editions on the <laughs> stand as you check out at the supermarket. Like there's none of that stuff. There isn't pornography that are portraying us as having a vastly different sexual response than we actually do. There's nobody telling us that our beautiful flowery labias are ugly or smelly or need to be you know, trim down or that we need to freshen up down there or we need to, like, there's none of that. And, and there's no shame about feeling the pleasure in our bodies. And meanwhile, it's okay to indulge in alcohol and to do other things that disconnect us from our bodies. Mm-hmm. What are this? What are some other things that disconnect us from our bodies? Alcohol for sure. <laughs> what? And alcohol is yeah that's i want to be careful not to say that people shouldn't drink at all but people escape into alcohol and and i know that you are you're a big supporter of this of really looking at our relationship with alcohol and other substances that that numb us out over two years ago i hadn't i could not quite remember the last time i'd had sex sober yeah because it was such a lubricant that it made me yeah. feel like more confident and more fun or playful or whatever. And so yeah. I had actually not truly been intimate with anyone Yeah, because I had that barrier of alcohol which, all the time. Which is re- yeah. Which is really, you're, you hadn't been intimate with yourself in that way. 100%. Yeah. 100%. In order to feel free, I needed to be lubricated and not down there. I need, I need it too with alcohol. Yes, exactly. Yes. In my head. Exactly. Exactly. And that's partly because you've been conditioned to wonder if you are enough. hundred percent. Or too much. And then PS, the alcohol makes you physically not feel like it actually like blocks the neurological stuff and orgasms are really hard when you're drunk, all that. Yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. We also, so this is, <laughs> this is the way that we avoid our feelings. And so th- this comes back to, to radical, one of the principles of radical intimacy is that we, av- we have grown up in this society where we feel entitled to only feel good, where we feel like when we 
encounter hardship, when life throws us curveballs, when we, when we have accidents or suffer a loss or illness or all those things, it's like we're victims of life. Like we shouldn't be feeling these things or we shouldn't have to deal with these things or life should be all good. And, and so we then run away from the pain. We don't want to feel discomfort. So the ways that we do that, the three ways we do that, there are three of them. One is denial, one is deflection, and one is distraction. Okay. So as we, whether it's alcohol, whether you're using alcohol or you're shopping compulsively or <laughs> some sort of compulsive behavior, or you're just pretending things are fine, you're deciding to focus on the great spiritual bypass. I'm just going to focus on the positive and love and light, know. love and yeah. light, raise my vibration. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or I and I are not fans. <laughs> yeah. Or we are deflecting. Mm-hmm. Like fo- focusing, I, I tell the story in, in my book about a client who her husband left her for a colleague and she was completely absorbed in her wrath at the woman. Not him, woman. but her. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I see and, that all the time. <laughs> yeah. So she took all of that, her own feelings of abandonment and betrayal and grief and fear and all of that and just shoved it right down and focused only and immersed herself in, in deflected her pain into anger at the other woman. So there's, there are all of those ways that we avoid being intimate with ourselves because being intimate with ourselves involves some degree of discomfort. Pain. It can cause, a, yeah. it can be a lot of pain, especially in the divorce world. My audience, that's where they're at. And yeah. And I, I'm very open about the story about how after my divorce, my, my alcohol use ramped up for a good 10 years because I didn't want to deal with the pain and the grief and the, all of the things about what had, what I had been through and yeah. what I had to heal from. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fun, but it's the only way because you know what? It's there. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it's there. Yeah. And it comes out sideways. Yes, exactly. Right. Whether it's increasing alcohol use and rage or right, because usually our anger is my great therapist years ago who said anger is a hard feeling. And underneath every hard feeling is a soft feeling. So our job is to try and look for what's the soft feeling underneath the hard feeling. And usually it's fear, sadness, pain, loneliness. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't love loneliness. And <laughs> right. I do in a way I do. I'm a little bit of a, yeah, and, and sure. this isn't for everybody, but I am a little bit of a junkie of, oh God, I this like, oh, this is excruciating. What's in there? Yeah. Yeah. Get on my meditation cushion or take a walk and really sit with that. What is that anger? What is that pain? What is that telling me? What's the source of that pain? I could do a lot better with that. Long-term relationships and intimacy. If we've never had it, because I think for most people, the concept of intimacy at all is fairly radical. Most of us have never really experienced it in our relationships. So 
let's say you're, if you're at a point in a long-term relationship where you've never had actual intimacy, I'm assuming step one is start with you, right? (laughs) Start here. How do we bring it in a relationship? Like, how do you invite the other person? If you've never had it, like, what's the deal? (laughs) What do we do, Zoe? Yeah. So I think that it's such a good question. And I think that, you know, whether you're in, in, the, in a relationship, an existing relationship, or you're not in relationship yet, but you know that you're going to be looking to have a new relationship at some point, maybe you're coming off the divorce and you're regrouping. And this is that wonderful time that you get to reinvent yourself and find out who you are outside of the context of your marriage. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. really... So that's the time to start to get really intimate with yourself. And the thing, the sort of guiding principle of intimacy is curiosity. So getting super curious with yourself, with the barista, with with the world, with the, the plants, the animals, with other swaths of the population on the planet that are living a vastly different human experience than you are, really tightening your awareness of you and your world and how you fit into that world. Then when you start to enter into a relationship or you're dating or you're at that point where you want to experience more intimacy, deepen that intimacy with a partner, talk about it. Talk about what intimacy means. Mm, mm-hmm. Talk about what to what level are you intimate with yourself and how does that look in your life? And, and one of the things that I love are intimacy cards, like deck cards, uh, deck of cards. It's like curiosity cards, like with questions and stuff. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that. And there are apps. Gottman has an app. And, yeah. and just start talking about those things. Like really explore with each other, especially if you start to get into a sort of rhythm with somebody and you have the, the kinds of conversations that you, you can do this with someone that you've been married to for 15 years to open back up the idea that there's always more to learn about someone. There's always more to learn about yourself. There's always more to learn about someone. There's, there's always a sort of opportunity for mystery and adventure and seeing the other person as a person on their own path with their own life and their own experiences and working out their own stuff apart from the relationship. A lot of eye gazing, a lot of one of the things that I really all my clients go through a whole sort of set of exercises to heighten sensual awareness. And my clients are working mostly on sex. So heightening sexual, uh, sensual awareness rather. And like I said, in the beginning of the, of this talk about listening to the sounds outside, feeling the air on my body, tasting the, all of that cooking a meal together and really like smelling the smells and tasting the tastes and listen to the way the, the vegetables sound in the skillet with the olive oil and really take it in and take in each other. I love the, I just love the idea of being curious about someone that you've, that you think that if you've spent 15, 20 years with them, starting to actually get curious about their experience because we think we know them so well. And, and in many ways we do, but there's this whole host of ways in which we just don't. 
Yeah. I think a lot of couples make the mistake of thinking they should know everything about each other, that they shouldn't. If they're a couple, they're not supposed to have private lives. And I think that's a, I think that's really detrimental to a relationship. It certainly is detrimental to sexual chemistry and desire. Um, yeah. Esther Perel talks about that, that the keeping some, keeping some things back is actually how you create some intimacy, some like curiosity and the mystery. Yes. Because when we dump it all on the floor, then it's, there's nothing left really. There's right. nothing to and, be curious about. And you can't long for something that you already have. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You need to create that sort of polarization a little bit of we have, we are two individuals. It's really important. And like Khalil Gibran says this as well, don't collapse at all. You're two pillars right next to each other. You're not, you don't become half of a whole. God forbid. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but but that's what we that's what we do. That's the 100%. model that we follow. You, you know? complete me. That's exactly. the you complete me model that is just so right. toxic and toxic at worst. And you're nothing because the the logical sort of abusive conclusion to that is you're nothing without. That's right. And that's why we feel that way. I think that's why so many women are, are so lost when they are coming to the end of a relationship. Coming to the end of the relationship, I know. Yeah. And and I think that Men are lost as well. Plenty of men are lost as well, but men fill themselves. You might have statistics on this. I can't remember the numbers, but men move on or men have a new relationship much quicker than women do. And that's not because women are not able to have a relationship, but most women are so happy to be alone and to be with themselves. And I love that. I love that period of time. I've been ended two marriages and, and many relationships. And I love that period of time right after the ending when it, yes, it hurts. And yes, there's a lot of stuff to work through and a lot of stuff comes up and there, there can be a feeling of like loss for sure. And there's grieving, but there's also this like tremendous possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this- I, did a, I did an IGTV last week about, about, because women are like, why does, why is he moving on so fast? And like, why is he dating so quickly? And did I mean nothing? And he's just replacing me. And my response is, yeah, he's replacing your labor. He's replacing the labor. He's not taking the time to figure out who he is without a woman. And essentially many men are as successful as they are on the backs of the labor of the women that they're in relationship with. We support that in them. And so when we get out, we're like, fuck, I'm exhausted. Like, I don't want to be responsible for anybody else. And men are like, fuck, who's going to pick up the pieces? And I think it's an important distinction to not take it personally. It's not at all about, that's right. It's not about you. It's not about you. They're, and, and the other thing I think men like to, they like to feel, they like the feeling of, that they get many men like the feeling that they get when they are, when they're they're the sort of object of someone's desire and longing. And there's an ego, but there's an ego to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. We all have that, but when it comes with labor and support and our, I think one of the biggest mistakes that women make when they start dating again, is that we feel like our nurturing and our 
caretaking sides. And so we use that as currency to get a man to want to be with us, right? I'll take care. No, no, I'll take care of the kids. You go do this. I'll take care of your children or I'll cook us. I'll cook dinner. Or I'll clean your kitchen. And we do all of that. And then five years later, we're utterly exhausted, but like we did it. We, we believe that was our, that that's our currency. How do you count? How do you counteract that? How do you prevent that from happening? Well, you don't do it. And I think that you, and you'll still get a man who knows. I don't right know. Man. Here am I single. So who knows? I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. I think that you'll get the right man. You'll find someone. Look, I think we're in the middle of deconstruction of patriarchal deconstruction. And I think that has a price for women right now. And many of us, we're at the place where women are like, oh, hell no. And men are like, are you kidding me? And so we're fighting back which is why we have such a a rise in white supremacy and all of this stuff, because all of the constructs that have upheld white men in particular, being whether that's people of color, whether that's women, just supporting that are are going on strike. And the white male as as an archetype, not as a person, is getting really fucking pissed and a little bit stronger in their ire and anger. So I don't know, I don't know in this generation whether what the outcome, who knows what the outcome will be, but I think we are in a we're in a clash for sure. But I think our biggest job if we're going to change it for ourselves for and definitely for our children and our grandchildren is to opt the fuck out. And find other ways, right? Find other ways of intimacy, which is why we're having this conversation. I buy that. What do you think? You're, <laughs> I can see your wheels turning. I'm nodding a lot. I'm nodding a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And I think that really the key to all of this is for women and men to take a look at themselves and do their own work and, and take responsibility for themselves. What do you find that your followers, your listeners, your clients, what do you find their issues in, in terms of sexuality are? I think so many of them are shut down about it. Many of them have experienced marital rape or sexual coercion. Many of them have a very dissatisfying sex lives. Some of them have great sex lives, but it's, I have a lot, I have a few clients who have described that the dynamic that Nicole Kidman's character has in Big Little Lies with her husband, which is violently abusive, but the the bond, the trauma bond brings them back to this like intense sexual heat. So they create chaos so that they can come back to that sexuality and really trauma bonding and breaking free of those bonds is such a huge part of what I see these days. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you want to give them some pointers and some tips? About- <laughs> yeah, I think I think coming out of a marriage, it's again like the opportunity to heal on that level is huge. You it's can't, huge. It's huge. And yeah. and that's really the name of the game is to really take back. You talk about giving your power away. Take back your power and your sovereignty and and heal that and that comes i think a lot from in my world that comes from a lot of self-pleasuring and a lot of processing and healing but 
but some of the healing like with a therapist happens in the way we think about sex and the way that we the way that we process what's happened both in the marriage and before the marriage and exactly what was it how how did your views and experience of sex and your own body and your own sexuality how did that form and that led you into that marriage and that dynamic that had you staying in that dynamic that now you're taking a look at and recovering from but the other half of that it's that healing path the sexual healing path is like a double helix the other strand of that is how does our body react to sensation what happens with and when there's a lot of trauma that in itself enough trauma and you need to have trauma therapy or trauma modality to help deprogram that and, and emdr is great for that and there's another modality called brain spotting or somatic therapy. There are a lot of ways to do that. But if that kind of work is not needed and you're on your own, self-pleasuring is the name of the game. And self-pleasuring not to, not I'm not talking about getting the vibrator out and having an orgasm as soon as possible. I'm talking about really feeling your body, really finding safety and being deeply rooted and resourced in your own body and your own sensations and start to calm your nervous system down. And that can be done by yourself with your own hands and a mm. tub of coconut oil. <laughs> that sounds good, actually. Yeah. Just- I remember I was subscribed to a newsletter about some of this stuff and just the simplest act. She talked about just when you get out of the shower or when you're in the shower, soaping your body slowly and then with intention, getting out of the shower, putting lotion, don't slap the lotion on and rub it in, like really be with the sensual experience and slow that down of just putting the lotion on your body and not in the basket, not putting the to get totally twisted about it. So is there a way like that? So let's say if a couple actually like had quote lost the spark, right? What people were long-term marriages and they're like, everything's fine, but we just don't have sex. It's just not, what do they do? What, what can a couple do to like, can you reignite that? Can you, does it just die after 20 years and this is our lot in life? No, I think it's important to know that that the dynamic changes naturally. It's unrealistic to think that we could have the same sex that we did in the first six months of the relationship 20 years down the, the road. I mean, that there is something, and that's not necessarily a loss. There can be a deepening. There can be, there's a lot of mindset involved and permission and, and mining for the new gold. There's a lot there that we can cultivate that's lovely and wonderful that wasn't accessible to us when we were younger. But the other thing is it's not simple, but it's totally doable, particularly if you had that spark to begin with. It's hard to manufacture a spark that never existed, but reigniting the spark is very possible. So I have a free downloadable a PDF called 21 Days to Mind-Blowing Sex. It's on my, you can access it on my homepage. And that's Uh, zoecourse.com, but we will link that in the show notes. Yeah. For sure. And that is a, and it's 
it's uh, it's all inclusive. It doesn't matter if you're same sex or heterosexual couple or even if you're trans or non-binary, whatever. And it's really a combination of wooing each other, knowing yourself, creating some distance. For one thing, for three weeks, there's no sex except for there's no intercourse. And then you only do the physical exercises that I've prescribed. And it's designed to really create that sort of distance and longing and and reconnection with, with yourself and then with your partner. I work with many couples who come to me and want to reignite that spark. And it's almost always <clears throat> a combination of, of creating time and space and setting that intention. And again, getting away from the myth that sex just happens spontaneously. That's like it did when we were fucking like rabbits in the first three months. Yeah. But that's a very temporary, that liminal phase is very temporary. So actually creating space and intention for sex and sexuality, and then also getting out of the habit of talking about the kids or the bills or in the bedroom, or there's like a lot of stuff that goes on that's just not sexy. You have to take your co-parenting relationship and compartmentalize it, take your business relationship and the business of running a household and compartmentalize it. And then you have to reignite your identity as lovers. And both parties need to be willing to do this too. This is not, I brought all of these ideas to my ex towards the end. I was like buying the Tantra book, signing us up for workshops and he would just never show up. And it was like, turns out he was getting it other places, but he wasn't, he was not interested in doing that with me in putting in that work. Just as a caveat to women who are about to go and download this and bring this to their partners, (laughs) make sure they're actually, they want it as well. Yeah. That three weeks, 21 days to mind blowing sex is very, it's very prescriptive. So it's easy to follow. And that's one of the things I think helps in enrolling a partner is that there are very specific instructions, which helps, especially if your partner is a penis haver. (laughs) Also resist the whole directions thing, but maybe, yeah. Oh, this is great. Oh, I just love you, Zoe. Thank you so much. I love you too. Thank you so much for having me on. Where can people find you? ZoeCores.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at ZoeCores. And that's Z-O-E-K-O-R-S, like Michael Kors. And her Instagram is awesome. You definitely need to follow it. Thank you so much, honey. I so appreciate you coming on and talking about this. I think we went like all over the intimacy stratosphere, but that's what it is, right? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.